This is Coda Radio, episode 234, for December 5th, 2016. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, I believe, particularly fired up this week, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. And not just the Swift developers. Oh, whoo. hey, guys. <laughs> How's it going over there, Mr. Dominic? I've seen a lot of furious tweeting over the weekend. Well, uh, you know what? Can you hear this? <laughs> That's how it's going. It's been a, been a rough weekend. It's been Good a boy. rough day. Good boy. Yeah. You know what? I'll tell you this, too. Uh, as I was uh, on my morning commute into the studio, your friend, Siri, reminded me to grab myself some Sam Adams on my way in. So I did get Good the girl. job done. Yeah, she did her job. And I yeah. completely, totally forgot about that until I saw the reminder. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so now which variety of Sam Adams did you go with today? I just, well, whatever the, whatever the generic old lager is, that's just what they, that's the only one they sell here at this uh, mm. store by the studio. It's a, it's plain Jane. I'm still I, uh, doing the uh, Cuddy Prohibition. I've also got myself, I'm matching that with a glass of water here, which is in a Batman cup, which is pretty awesome. So that way, I'm I I I'm also intaking lots of H two O. Very good. Yes, I'm doing a cutty with a water back, but it's the prohibition edition because we're fancy <laughs> still. And a glass of water. And let me tell you what has been helping me uh, this last weekend, Chris. Yeah, so open up. Talking to my new friend Google. Oh, I've been wondering. I was going to ask you if you got the. Uh, the uh, the was it called? Is it called just the home? I guess it's called just the home, isn't it? Did you I get guess Google Home? Did your home yeah. arrive home? Did it, did your home arrive it, to it, your it, home? It arrived at my office, which is where, where it is. Oh, I see. Oh, really? Because you don't want them love making noises getting picked up by the uh, I kid you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it's because I've spent more time at work than home. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. I liked my version a lot better now that yeah, I your version was another very different. You could have just rolled with it, man. We wouldn't have known. We wouldn't have known. I could have, but it yeah. felt wrong. Okay. Yeah. So uh, have you had much, time, had much time with it? Yeah, it came the day after the show. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, well, that's sort of Tuesday, perfect, so isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I have to say I'm very impressed. You know, we got, uh, we got a tweet from uh, Kyle Morgan, uh, at Kyle Morgan. Uh, he has a blog, too, I think. And uh, he tweeted us. He said, hey, Google. guys. Play the latest episode of Coder Radio Podcast. He says you don't have to have like some sort of custom fancy Google Home bot or app. Here's the latest episode of Coder Radio Unc, Stalker Box, County Route 233. This is Coder Radio, episode 233 for November nice. 4th. What's funny is it thinks that CR stands for County Route, so that's kind of funny. Yeah, I was like, wait, I, I got lost, but I yeah. get that. Yeah, County Route, yeah. Uh, but that is pretty nice. So you don't even have to. You can already just ask your uh, your Google Home then to to play. Well, I tell you what, uh, it it was a painless setup process, and it has revolutionized. Shut music up, dude! Picking. What music? No music. Because it has. Let a good me show speaker. you. It has a good speaker. Okay, Google. Okay, Google. Play Katy Perry. You're gonna get us taken down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't. Really care. I want to see it. Okay, it's going now, right? Is it going? Okay, yeah. Google, stop. And that, if you don't know, that was E.T. by Katy Perry. So that's pretty cool, although it's actually, I surprised it wasn't a little faster. It, of course, we're on air, so every second feels like an eternity. Yeah, and there's an intro to that song, too. Unfortunately, I should have, you know, used my deep knowledge of Katy Perry to play a song. With <laughs> Your <intro>. deep knowledge. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so okay. My deep what, Katy Perry learning. Give me if you a will. seriously useful thing that you've done. Is there anything that's like made it better for work? Anything that's made you more productive? Anything that's well, it's certainly going to make the happy hour tab uh, cheaper. You know, it has a pub trivia game right in it, and uh, we're going to build an in-office bar. <laughs> so I'm you, not kidding. You wait a minute. You're not giving me okay. Well, okay. So you're telling me 
You're telling me that because of the Google Home, you, instead of going out at uh, happy hour, you're going to stay in the office. Yeah, basically. Not all the time, but yeah. Huh. What else is it doing for you? Because that doesn't, that doesn't for some reason, that's not pushing my buttons. <laughs> well, so, so I have to be honest. It's a toy, right? Yeah. Um, it hasn't done. One of the hugest problems we have is, or I have with it, is I can't have two Google accounts on it. So all of my work stuff is in my work account and all my like Google Play Music subscriptions, uh, YouTube Red, all that stuff is in my personal. So it's set up with my personal account, which has like no calendar events, nothing really useful. Yeah. Yep. But I'm telling you, just as like a, a office DJ, it's pretty fun. Um, you know, asking it questions. I did briefly reset it with my work account to see if it could tell me about appointments and things and it can. I could definitely see it being very useful, like a very, very typical scenario here in the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio when we have two to three to four more or more people is very quickly uh, a conversation goes in a direction where, all right, well, I'll just bring out my phone and somebody's Googling it really quick. And then whatever it, right. it is, it's like that's a very, very con- – usually the beard's got the, – usually the beard's Googling it before anybody even thinks to Google it and he's got the answer by the time the other guy's Googling it. So we don't generally need the, the home because we just use the beard, but – the beard could use the home, and then other people could use the home when the beard's not around. And I could see the value in that, yeah. but that—that's—that's—that's that's, uh, that's a free to sixty-nine dollar device for me. Maybe ninety-nine dollars, very top end. Well, let me tell you this: I feel about the Google Home like I felt like the iPad when I first uh, touched the first iPad. I didn't think the iPad was really interesting in theory, right? Big iPod Touch, big iPhone. Then when I got one, I've always had an iPad, and I would never give it up. Hmm. So you're like this thing, I'm keeping it. I'm probably going to get another one for my home office. Damn. Yeah. And it also, does it also do Wi-Fi? Or is it also your Wi-Fi router now? It remember. is not. Um, I, I don't know if that's possible. I know they have something else that does Wi-Fi. Okay, maybe Google thing, Wi-Fi is something. Yeah, Google Wi-Fi is One thing, it, make, it makes me want to get a Chromecast, though. Yeah, I would imagine it makes you more encouraged to get in the Google. It probably yeah. makes you want to use an Android device more. It probably makes you want to use does. a Chromecast more. I would imagine so. Well, particularly because I have that YouTube Red Google Play subscription. You know, if I just want to, like, see a video, I could ask for the video. And if it sees a Chromecast, it will play it on the Chromecast. Yeah, however, uh, that tweet we got where somebody's playing co- – where uh, Kyle is playing quarter radio, he said when he told it to cast it, it failed. Interesting. So I think it's not perfect. Per- well, it's obviously not per- perfect. I mean – but toys aside, Chris, we have some serious business this week. Did you want to talk at all about Google open sourcing their DeepMind AI training platform? So it's not like they're it's, – it's the, it's the training platform they, they yeah. use to train AI. So it's DeepMind's putting their entire source code for the training environment online on GitLab. I'm sorry, on GitHub. <clears throat> oh, poor GitLab. Um, yeah. I saw this. I don't really know why – well, you know, there's some other. There's been some others that have gone open source recently. So the competition right. in the space is heating up, and I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's interesting. I know. I just, it's interesting. I mean, it's always good when one of these things goes open source. It's not something I. It's happening. Paid attention to. It's developing news today as we record this show. I noticed. Speaking of things that, dev- that posted today, you had a blog post today. I did. I, like I did. This. I did. I did. First steps to functional Pallet Town. What's Pallet Town? So I. Uh, Chris, you may remember or you may not that for a couple of years, I occasionally do a post called Pallet Town, which is like very introductory, you know, learning development posts, right? Mm-hmm. So this is another one of those. It's got the cute little Pokemon red or blue, uh, you know, the first level, because I'm old and I remember when Game Boys were yellow and green, but the picture is black and white. So the idea here is walking you through, you know, I, I've really, you know, Chris, I'm trying to be a better person. Okay. You know, this is like that third step. Hang on, let me take a swig, uh, swig of scotch sure, here. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Okay, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, because um, you're about to open up. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I, I've had some not nice things to say about reactive functional programming. Mm. And I felt, let me take another look at it, right? Let me, let me try to come to Jesus. So I've been looking at RxJava, which is the Android slash, obviously, Java um, kind of reactive programming library. And, of course, ReactJS. And uh, I still hate it with fiery passion. But that's for a topic for a different day. But <laughs> one thing have, that stood out wait, to me. Wait a minute here. Can you explain this to me? Can why you I exp- hate it with a fiery passion? No, can you explain to me why on your blog, you, when you link to React and Java, you, uh, you link to Puppy? 
uh, to a puppy chewing on a teddy bear. <laughs> you weren't supposed to notice that. Yeah, well, I did. That's didn't. what you get. Yeah. <laughs> That's. I was waiting for someone to write a comment. Yeah, well, I, I was like, well, I'll go read more about it while he talk. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's a puppy chewing on a teddy bear. Because. That's kind of what reactive developers are. Um, no, that may or may not be an accident. Anyway, you know, at the heart of this is functional programming, right? And in my effort to try to understand and, you know, maybe somehow like react, reactive programming, I ended up understanding and liking functional programming more and still hating reactive mm, programming. Okay, that's fair. That is a great puppy and a great teddy bear. Yeah, I like that. That was a good call. I'm wondering how many of the other links are puppies and teddy bears in kinda, here now. Kind of makes me want a puppy, doesn't like, it? For like ten seconds, and then I remember what a pain in the butt that is. Yeah. yeah. Well, remember how they so, chew everything up? Oh my gosh! I, oh, I have dogs. Shoes. Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's almost like WordPress did with my code templates. Hmm. I think you should leave it. Don't you dare change it. I'd visit the your puppies in that. If this doesn't become a thing on your blog, this is a missed opportunity. Just random pictures of things I don't like as puppies? All right. Yeah. Well, no, no. I think I, I think you got to be selective in the image you choose. Don't make it boring. Okay. But give people a little Easter egg. The, the, the followers of your blog will know every now and then there's a little Easter egg stuck in there. Yes, this is the puppy hate edition of clicking. this blog post. I'll be clicking. I'll tell you what. If you keep this up, I'm going to be clicking. I'll be clicking. All right. So anyway couple benefits to this uh, kind of more functional programming style other than, you know, puppies aside. One of the tenets of functional programming is one action, one function, right? Or mm. one function equals one action, which basically means if you have a function called, for example, get Pokemon, you know, let's, let's assume it's Java. It returns a Pokemon object of some kind. Um, it takes an integer, which is like a prior, you know, an object ID, whatever, database ID. All it should do is get the Pokemon, an example of something it shouldn't do is like get the Pokemon, change its type property to fire, save the Pokemon with the mutated type, and then return it to you. That's horrible. And that's super, super common, right? Mm. That's just a lot of state going on. You're mutating the database state mm. when you don't think you are. The method signature doesn't suggest you are. That's really bad for a number of reasons. And you can read the rest of the post to find out kind of why. Mm. The other thing is deterministic outputs, which... WordPress mangling my code in, in that example aside means that you should put in the same value every time and always, 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 always get the same output. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you put in, let's say, a certain user ID, a certain integer in the example, the second example that works, you should always, always get the same value. So the the anti-pattern that I think functional programming helps you with is avoiding other state, right? Avoiding some user current user singleton running around your app. The reason, there's two reasons that's good. One, it's just bad to do it the other way. And two, if you ever decide you want to write automated tests, the main way automated tests work is that they pump parameters into your methods. So therefore, really, your methods should take in all the parameters they need to, uh, to run, right? So you, let's let's clarify that your method should not rely on any third party state. It should take in mm. everything it needs to process, should go into the method, and therefore you avoid side effects. Hmm. So I like the examples that you put here. So here's an example of what not to do, which is actually I think my favorite part. Yeah, I think the, I mean, and obviously all these examples are like incredibly shallow, uh, shallow rather, right? I, mean, I wasn't trying to like write the best, you know, functional programming code ever. Uh, so that's, so that's interesting, but that's not, that's not what you've been ranting and raving about on Twitter all weekend. So I feel like we're about to get to that. So before we do that, what do you say? We take a moment. Take we'll, a moment. We'll say thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. Use our promo code CoderDigital, it's one word, and you apply it to your account and then you get a $10 credit. Go to DigitalOcean.com, create an account and apply it. DigitalOcean is a really simple and straightforward way to spin up infrastructure when you need it. You need a single server, multiple servers, you need something to scale to, you want to test, you want to learn, or you want to put something in production. It's incredible that they've made a service that checks all those boxes, and the way they do it is by having a highly performant infrastructure, all SSD disks, KVM for the virtualizer, Linux for the host operating system, 40 gigabit E connections to each hypervisor, and then data centers all over the world. And they matched it all with an amazing interface. It's gorgeous. And they have a straightforward API. 
DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And I also want to encourage you guys, even if you're not a customer yet, go check out their great documentation. Okay, Mr. Dominic, tell me what was going on over the weekend. I actually, I think it started a couple of days ago. Uh, <laughs> I, you're like, I have this very strong desire to rewrite this Swift in Objective-C, but I must not give in. And I also saw tweets complaining about Xcode crashing, project conversion disasters. You've had a you've had a rough weekend. Oh my god, yeah. So I have this old um I think it's like a Swift 2 app that I've kind of been working on, you know, in off time. I ha- I have a little bit of downtime. One of those over yeah, one of those kind of things, right? Over the last I I'm like I had one project just finished and I have another one just starting, so I'm kind of like these are projects that I'm personally going to be working on. So, you know, let me let me take an opportunity here. But in the meantime, between these last downtimes, you know, we've gone to Swift 3. I don't know if you've heard about that, Chris. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had, you know, I updated my MacBook to Xcode 8, opened the project, it crashes like 400 times. What? Yeah. Something, I never figured out what actually happened. Something was wrong with the state of the Xcode project file that Xcode 8 couldn't open it. So I ended up just like resetting it and going back and regenerating the. Uh, I had to delete the workspace. Oh, I had to regenerate the code. Are you pods. just cussing the whole time? Are you just like? I, I, I'm a little annoyed, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> deeply unhappy and I'm tweeting. Yeah. All right, so then, but you know, we we blow away the cocoa pods. We reinstall everything. Everything's great. Cool. Then this little helpful dialogue comes up. Says, "Hey, dog." Uh, so uh, it's, that's some nice Swift 2 you got there. It would be a shame if uh, you didn't finish this app before Swift 2 wasn't on the App Store. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I yeah. see you have some nice Swift 2 code. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a nice restaurant you've got here, Mr. Uh, you know, kind of like an old mob movie, right? Would you like to convert it to Swift 2.3 or 3.0? We recommend 3. Mm-hmm, of course. Like, all right. Well, there's a tool. All right. I mean, there's a tool, made right? By the, made by the people that created... Everything in the pipeline. So yep. if, if anybody's going to make a tool that could handle this, it definitely should be them. Definitely going to be Apple. It's going to be all right. So I run the tool. This app has maybe a dozen classes written in it, or enums in most cases, but a, do- a dozen files that are mine, right? The rest of it's CocoaPod dependencies. Hundreds of errors. No, uh, actually, no. Uh, Craig Federici told me in a keynote that it's like just a one-button-click thing. It's not a big deal. So you must be talking about. Uh, are you talking about uh, .NET? No, I'm talking about Swift. Oh, because hundreds oh. of errors. So you know, I I throw a fit, and I spend about I would say two hours digging into the errors. So it turns out that this whole crazy. Let's update everything and do breaking changes has infected the entire Swift ecosystem <laughs> to the point where like the dependencies I was using also made breaking changes. Mm. And it was at the point where if you're using Swift 3, you can't use the previous version of dependency. I'm, I'm looking at you, Alamo Fire, um, where you have to upgrade. But upgrading it changes the method signature. So you actually have to like rewrite your implementation code. Which like wasn't hard. I mean, here's the problem. Once I figured out what the what the issue actually was, it was yet again blowing away all my cocoa pods, rewriting my pod file. Which honestly, all of this sounds like a reason not to use cocoa pods, because you would think that cocoa pods would have something in there that says, "Hey, dog, you're uh, using Swift two, you, ju- you but your project now is to Swift three, and all of your dependencies require Swift two. Mm-hmm. But I digress. I ended up just updating all of my dependencies, getting things to run. And I was thinking about, you know, I, I don't have a lot of free time to work on, like, spare projects. Mm. And taking, like, a two- to four-hour chunk out of that basically yep. means I got nothing done. Yeah, that, that is so defeating and demotivating. It sucks. So I, I got into this way of, like, thinking about the Swift transition. And I ended up spending most of the read in, like, trying to read pro-Swift 3 arguments. Because I, I, I know that I'm a... Uh, pretty curmudgeonly conservative guy on my tool chain. You know, I love Java. So I should tell you a lot about me. Really, really like Java. And I, you know, 
I still don't think anyone gives a rat's ass if I hand them an iPad app that was compiled in Objective-C or Swift for the most part, right? I, I just, I don't think that matters, but I'm trying to kind of go along with the ball game here, trying to, you know, you know, trying to, trying to play ball, Chris, right? I'm, you yeah. know, I'm trying to go along to get along sort of thing. Yeah, well, if this is, if this is the direction that things are going, if this is the way the stream right. is flowing, you get, what's the point of paddling upstream all the time? Every now and then you got to go, you got to just go with the flow. Right, and, and, and you know, the reality is like, I might just be old man Mike, right? I, it's possible that I'm a Trump voter sitting in my cabin with an assault rifle and my Objective-C compiler, my pointers, my messaging, the whole small talk thing. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. So I wrote up in the show notes, as you can see, Chris knows that when we have an organized list of sub-items that I'm deeply unhappy. That's kind of the... <laughs> that's the that's, sign. That's my heads up. That's your like a uh, danger. <laughs> Let's talk about the Swift transition. Are you ready? I, I am ready for this. This has been my number one concern when Apple announced Swift is that they they too they move too quickly in some senses. Sometimes it's the in the best, and sometimes you get the MacBook Pro. Well, well oh, we should briefly mention. Uh, so a number of the MacBook Pros appear to be having battery issues. Mac yeah. rumors, The Verge, Recode are all reporting yeah. on this. Yeah. I, I think ours is too. Um, ours Technica rather. He, he, I am so happy to not have problem. And video card issues as well. Oh, I didn't hear about the video issues. Yeah, video. weird, weird video. I thought there was no video card. No, no, there's just like uh, there's like a video driver issue, or there's some kind of like display issue where things look super weird on the screen. In fact, uh, I was uh, how did I? I don't even remember. I think it came up on. I think I was. I saw a retweet on Twitter. Let me see if I can go find. Uh, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I actually know someone who got one who very very unhappy. Yeah, so let's talk about just. We'll, this is just a super quick aside. We won't spend much time on this, but right. this is I think actually kind of critically important since we've been talking about it a lot recently. So this was something that I found. I think it was retweeted from yeah Mac Rumors. Users find some new MacBook Pro suffer from major graphics issues, and like here is an example of a screen just totally glitching out on the new MacBook Pro. And uh, this is the one with 80 uh, – you can get it with – if you buy the higher-end one, you, the 15-inch, you can get it with Radeon Pro 4600 graphics. Um, and uh, those ones are the ones that are having this particular issue. Other, other users submitted uh, also with ADM, ADM, ADMD Radeon Pro 460, like this garbled red, blue, and white thing. Um, lots of – actually, lots of reports of glitching, like during like game uh, – trying to play 3D games. Uh, yeah. Well, seems, that's crap. Yeah, it seems to be – it actually seems to be a pretty big deal. It seems to be affecting a lot of machines. Yeah, I, I know, I've heard about the battery thing, but the video thing, that looks really awful. Yeah, it does um, seem – it seems to be pretty bad. Yeah. Well, let's then, be honest. On a, on a 2K plus machine, any issue is pretty much a deal breaker. And then you look at this. You have people reporting a battery life of you know three, and 40, three hours, 40 minutes. Some people reporting three hours, 45 minutes. Some people reporting five hours at best, six hours in some of the extremes. Uh, and it seems to be a lot of people are putting blame on things like Chrome and Acrobat and uh, other Adobe applications and Microsoft applications, but really? those are the but those are the applications the users use. So it's pretty it's it's sort of a shit answer to say, well, you would get thirteen hours of or twelve hours or ten hours if, if you didn't if you use any Vim, right? If you're if you're chilling in Vim all day, if you use Safari and Apple Mail and and Preview and Text Edit, then you're fine. But if you yeah, use anything else, you're getting three to six hours at best. Yeah, that's that's bullshit. I mean, also, yeah. it seems to be like there's a uh, weird, totally unoptimized things that are happening um, that are taking a ton of battery. Uh, so, for example, iMessage on the new MacBook Pro, if you use any of the new effects that are part of iOS 10, like invisible ink, for example, the invisible ink triggers the dedicated GPU and it takes a ton of power like it runs for an unusual as long as it's being just, yeah as long as it's up on your screen the dedicated That's... GPU was running rendering the, even if it's invisible at the time because it Chris, might Chris, reveal Chris, it. Chris, Chris, Chris. I, obviously you're mistaken uh, it's the hardware software integration that Apple brings you uh, that prevents these sort of issues <laughs> you know what it feels like is it feels like they ask you a question in... this uh, this message or iMessage app you're using uh, what, what's the vendor on that it's Apple. It's not me. I don't have a MacBook mm. Pro. I'm just reading reports. But yeah, know, all I'm, Apple. Doesn't it seem like maybe they ported just they just raw ported that stuff over from the iPhone and didn't bother optimizing it for the Mac? Well, no, messages existed on the Mac first. I know but, it did, but maybe this feature. I mean, I don't know why would it be so clunky like that. You know, I have never been lucky with Apple first one products. 
Um, yes, I was an early adopter of the first aluminum and only aluminum MacBook. Uh, well, not anymore because there's the new MacBooks. But you know, way back in the I think mid 2000s, they released a MacBook that was randomly aluminum. It was right. It was right after the black one. Mm-hmm. You remember the plastic ones? Yeah, and there was not also- MacBook Pro. MacBook. There was like one 13 inch mm, that you just okay. buy and it was aluminum. I'm not sure if I do, but it was the one with the amazing heat sink problems. Okay, that melted. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I had one of those, uh, and it was only like the first, you know, couple thousand of them had that problem, right? If you bought it pre-order and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are these are, 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 is Apple saying that these are are like defects and they're going to replace them? Or well, typical. There's not much to be heard yet, but if the, if there's enough noise, I'm sure Apple will make good on warranty repair, right? They've, they're always pretty well, good about it. They're usually pretty good about warranty repairs. Yeah. Once there's enough momentum and noise, but if there's not, if they doesn't get critical attention, then sometimes they just try to skate by. Hmm. But it definitely sucks because not only are they more expensive machines that in some way are more limited, but there was also an extremely long wait for these. So that's sort of disappointing too. Yeah, and I imagine they don't have like inventory for you to walk in and say my machine doesn't work and for them to hand you a new comparable machine. Mm. So that's a problem. So let's continue on. Migration pains. Tell me about it. So – there's some obvious pain that's not that bad, right? The, The syntax being slightly different for a number of things. That is annoying, but you know I read the reasons why they did it, and for the most part, the migrator fixes that for you. And we're going to go into the why in a minute, but I'm okay with most of that. I don't really have a problem with that because that's like a one-time sort of thing, right? Um, the biggest pain I think is the goddamn dependencies are unbelievably complicated. I mean, if I had a very large Swift code base that was in like Swift two, I don't. I don't really know how I would have been able to go to three. I think I would have had to go to two, three. Right. I was just going to ask you that because that seems like maybe the intermediate step that isn't really, like I said, isn't really going downstream, but at least isn't frantically paddling against the stream. Eventually, they're going to disable that too. And you're going to have to make the switch. Right. So that, that, you know, that, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty aggressive thing. I mean, that, that's running uphill on a treadmill with, chains on you i I don't like that and it doesn't help if the tools are buggy and crash on you yeah see i've i don't know to give benefit of the doubt that macbook in in particular has some stability problems (laughs) so i'm not sure it's really xcode (laughs) okay so let's give them a break on that Uh, yeah yeah, i've heard i but you know come on (laughs) let's be honest we hear lots of reports of xcode crashing but yeah all right loves to crash (laughs) no, nothing excites Xcode more than showing you an error dialog. You should really get through this, though, because if you don't hurry up, you're going to be looking at a Swift 4 migration. <laughs> well, that – well, supposedly – so let, all right. So let's get into this, right? The why. Uh, this, there's a lot of syntax changes that are basically to standardize method naming conventions. And this is not how they would put it, but this is how I would put it. Make them a lot less Objective-C-esque, hmm. right? I have a really simple example in the show notes. Uh, so they got rid of the return values at the end of names. So for ex- instance, if you wanted to append a string to an arbitrary string called my string, it used to be my string dot append string some string, right? Now it's my string append some string, where some string is the parameter, obviously. Okay, great. Like it was a normal Objective C uh, pattern to you know, append the type to the end of the name, right? So append string. But Swift is kind of more modern and trying to be a little more succinct. A lot of the things in Swift are meant to be succinct, right? So the less verbose, okay. You know what? Not horrible. But really kind of not worth the pain in my opinion, but okay. Uh, this one I think is actually worth the pain. Native – you remember Grand Central Dispatch, Chris? Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite features of the yeah. best operating system ever released, Mac OS Snow Leopard. No, I don't know if I want to go that far, but I'll definitely oh, tell you it's it's pretty cool sauce. So it's like uh, it allows you to dis- it allows you to as a developer handle multiprocessor scaling across multiple CPUs and handling off your workload in like a block like fashion. Like you create these sort of work blocks yep. and you hand it off to Grand Central Dispatch. It manages all of the processing and even including yep. like some GPU offloading to some extent. It could, could well I maybe it, not. It, I can't remember. Later versions of it do do GPU offloading, but initially in Snow Leopard, I don't know that it actually did GPU. Like, but it was one of those. Remember that that I do. Re- call like uh, the new feature is no features uh, except for this entire back end thing that we're going to do right the new feature was no features unless you're a developer because then there's like four so, yeah uh, again 
Snow Leopard. And actually, I think they they open sourced it, and it has made its debut in the BSD world as too. There's some BSD OSs that incorporate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan, can you send me like a thumb drive, (laughs) please? No, I I I I love GCD. It it was great. I mean, it was better in Objective C, but still great. Wait, wait, it's not in Objective C. What are you talking about on i on on Mac and on Mac OS? It's not uh... Mac OS and and iOS. So they've changed it, right? Uh, Initially, GCD was actually a C library. The the lib because we have to begin every C library with the word lib. Lib dispatch was a pure C, and the old Swift uh, way to do it from like Swift one and Swift two. Oh, okay. Was to call into lib C. Yeah. And so the API signatures. I don't. If you've seen Objective C code, right, or even like older Swift code, you know when you're hitting a C API because it basically looks like C. So they've redone that library in Swift. Yes, they have. Aha! Uh-huh. I didn't Which know that. Actually, when did that happen? Makes, uh, it's part of Swift three. Oh. Well, so let's be clear. My understanding, and please, if anyone's on the Swift Evolution team, please correct me if this is wrong, because I saw two com- two conflicting things online. My understanding is that if I'm calling it from Objective C. I am still getting the C library, uh, so the lib dispatch. That would make sense. But if I'm calling it from Swift, there is a native implementation that I'm getting. That's interesting. Which I actually think, you know what? Are you I, a Mac OS app that needs Grand Central Dispatch? I just like Grand Central Dispatch. It's interesting. That's you know, just I have interesting. this weird attachment to that functionality. I honestly... Why not use it? I think it's one of the best APIs that was ever made. Because it, it takes something that's very, very, very hard and makes it relatively easy. Uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of really intense tasks attainable for your average developer. And Apple, pay attention. Put a SPAC feature on iTunes. Microsoft, cannot, Canonical, any of these other vendors have not been able to release Google. Although Google can't handle scroll views, so... Has not been able to release an API of similar quality that I'm aware of. I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder for this, obviously. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I, I do appreciate how simple it makes it for developers. I never really have. Well, I guess that's not. I guess on desktop Linux, time. on desktop Linux applications, I notice sometimes they seem to favor certain cores. But on most backend, like all of the OS code for Linux, like all of the services I run, all of that they've seemed they seem to be. They seem to behave very well under multi-core systems. So I, I wonder, I wonder if so, that so is you're not looking necessary. at it from too too nerdy of a perspective, right? Okay. Take a step back. All right. You have a possibly memory constrained environment. Just remember when it came out too. I mean, Snow Leopard not that long ago, but you know, people weren't rocking sixteen gigs of RAM, which is all the RAM you're going to ever need. Yeah, it's probably all the it was. It was probably about the amount of RAM you normally got back then when Snow Leopard came out in what? Oh uh, six. Uh, I can go look. I'll go look. I'll go look. I'll keep going. You know, multi-core on Mac in particular was not easy. Um, and at the time, this is another key point, Chris, you had to do it in C, basically. Grand Central Dispatch was a very nice, like you said, block-oriented Objective-C overlay to that functionality, which from a from a real world, what am I doing with this perspective? It means you can do data intensive or slow tasks in a memory efficient way that doesn't, you know, block the, uh, you know, block the user experience, right? It, yeah. it, the user doesn't feel the drag. That, that's so, kind of the goal here. And there's so many nice things about, you know, especially as so as every Mac now. Now, back then when they announced this, they not every they they I think it was sort of. Well, I think they were all dual core back then. Maybe, I don't think there was a yeah, maybe, back. yeah. I guess that yeah. makes sense. But now, of course, that's very common. So it came out in August twenty eighth, two thousand nine. Seven years ago. So Mac yeah. OS X, and by your estimation, peaked seven years ago. Yeah, no, that is what I'm saying. Oh, I think all operating systems peaked with Snow Leopard, though. <laughs> okay, the great peaking. The great, the great yeah, peaking. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I haven't, on the, especially on the desktop, I would say Ubuntu 7.10 is the closest thing I've seen to it. And even then, it's kind of a, a poor substitute. But... Although Mac is worse, I they had it, Chris. I, all right, we're going to go into this. I, I can't, Chris. You 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 open you open the Snow Leopard box here. Oh, okay. They had it. They had everything right. All they had to do was nothing. Make it faster, fix bugs, and chill. Who's this? Apple. Mm, I don't think I don't think that's right because they didn't have the market share or the mind share. 
they had to they had to mix it up because they were they had to compete with Microsoft Windows. From, from a technical, I need a workspace perspective. That was the best okay, OS right, I've ever okay. used. All right, all right, okay. You know, no nonsense about lasers and oh god, built-in balloons and built-in uh, built-in voice assistants. Yeah, uh, you know, I. I <laughs> Things weren't stitched leather, although they've fallen back from that a little bit, so that's good. I really – I honestly feel like uh, Arch with GNOME 3 is the best desktop operating system I've ever had. It's just it's just super rock solid, and all my favorite applications are always kept up to date. That's all I want. I mean, I am happy to be proven wrong. I mean, I have been – you know, I'm like King Arthur here looking for the holy snow leopard grail, and I just I just can't find it. I you know believe – Go ahead. I believe no – I hate doing this, but I believe no workstation that has the – and I say this all the time, but it has the strategy tax of a large corporation. You'll never get your best workstation OS out of that. It's just not possible. They no, can't, I, let, they can't let – they can't just leave it alone. They have to keep making it fancy. They have to keep making headlines. They need something to announce up on the stage. They got to integrate new features in with that mm-hmm. are, are total 100 percent gimmicks with their new hardware. This is just a. This is the. These are the fundamental constraints that a commercial operating system produced by Apple or Microsoft or Googs are under, and it's not one that well, the Linux desktop will like Arch with GNOME three. I'm just saying, yeah. or it could be Fedora, it could be OpenSUSE. I assure you, it's not Fedora. I used to be a Fedora user. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, my workstation at work that I'm currently talking to on the retail is Ubuntu 16.04 because I, I, I don't think I'm upgrading <laughs> anytime soon. I'm, I'm not the upgrade guy, right? I'm the, again, I like Java. Imagine if, say, that machine works great for you for five years solid. And by the end of, at the end of five years, you've become much more familiar with the interface. It's much more muscle memory now. It's very intuitive. You've got a clear yeah. understanding of the file system and how things react when you, and how to what, – what installs, what doesn't. All these things, imagine that point. That, that's where I'm at now with the GNOME desktop and I, I really find it to be – I find it to be exactly what I need and that is out of my way, always working sure. and modern. Right. No, no. I am not trying to convert people to my, you know, my Don Quixote style quest for Snow Leopard. I'm just saying that that state that you're talking about, I had. Yeah. And they took it away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know if you're ever going to get back there again. No, I don't. I, I think I think Ubuntu is going to be it. But you're right. Eventually, I will either have to buy a new machine or update when the support ends. And I will be angry about whatever I'm angry about because mm-hmm. I'll change something. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's fair enough. Just how I am, but let's keep moving on to Swift. Moving on. All right. So uh, again, uh, there is no Snow Leopard mode in Swift. So I'm a little disappointed about that. Shh, nothing okay. Now, well, I mean, you know, if you want to, if you want to uh, reflect on uh, of, uh, of operating systems of past, then uh, I can't go there with you because it's. I don't know. Apparently, you can still you- buy it for 19.99 though. So if you still want to grab a copy, you should do it. Yeah, I don't think I can run it though. Probably not. Isn't that also weird? Here's it, here. I'll give you this. I agree. In terms of macOS, it was their best. Right. So you'll give me at least on the Mac side. Snow Leopard was yeah. probably peak yeah. Mac. Yeah. I think. It, I think it probably was. And um, I can't. I, the reason why that seven years number shocked me is because I have dramatically, dramatically stopped upgrading any of the Macs that we have here in the studio since then. That was sort of the the last time I installed every single OS that they did, and then after that, well, I what is your having, production? Um, I, I, we're totally off track here, but what is your production uh, OS ten? And I will call that till my death. I don't know. I think I, I think the most important one would be the machine that uh, the beard. Edits no, what on. OS is it? What is it like? Uh, it's Mac like, OS. It's Final Cut OS, as I call it. No, no, I know that, but what version? I think I think he just went all in on Sierra recently, so that way we don't fall too uh, far behind. Uh, but the machine that is currently recording uh, via Wirecast, which is also a very critical machine, although not irreplaceable, but important, um, and I want it to work every single day, 24-7, so I haven't updated it for a while. It is, wait, I tried to go to About This Mac, and it brings up the Software Center? Since when is that a thing? Hold on. Really uh, hold, about This Mac. There we go. <laughs> it is, there we go. It is Mac OS 10.9.5. That's was what that Mavericks or something. Yeah, no, I think it's before that. I, don't know. I think that it's before that. I don't know. No, it's before that. I think too. So they, yeah, I the other thing is like their naming convention made a lot of sense when it was all. It's Mavericks, by the way. Okay, all right. Yeah, that doesn't seem right though. It seems like it was before Mavericks. It, I just googled it. All right, I can't keep track. I can't keep track. Uh, hey, Chris, what are you complaining about? You have sixteen gigs of RAM. 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> You're done. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have. Right. I would actually. I would actually. I could put more RAM in that Mac Pro. The only reason I don't is because Wirecast has a 32-bit application. <laughs> oh, so since we're bitching, yeah, sure. Why does Apple feel the need to show people a pop-up when I haven't recompiled an app for 64-bit? What are you talking about? You don't know this yet. Oh, if you're running a 32-bit iOS app, it will tell the user that this app may be slowing down your phone. Whoa, they're shaming you. Yes, and How it's much very can obnoxious. It really be sh- well, at most, at okay. most, it has First to start. First of all, it's not. There's right. probably already a 32-bit VM, right? Isn't there like a probably one that's already running in the background? I don't know. Probably it starts one for each app, but still, these phones are like little supercomputers. I, can't, I don't even want to get into the whole like yeah this my iphone is like better than every computer i've ever had until i was in college combined right yeah, you could yeah. put them all together yeah I, it is they're very yeah it's very fast the yeah. iphone especially the latest ones are very fast it, it's it's really frustrating because it's one of those situations where you know this is an older app that we're doing a migration away from parse and there's really no sense in pushing an update until that happens it's interesting they're doing that because why not also then put a little pop-up that comes up for all of the apps that have ad analytics and tracking that are sending it off to third parties for monitoring. Because that slows the phone down, too. Why not have well, a pop-up theor- for that? So, theoretically, they only care if you make them look bad. But I, I can't imagine how much my little app could make them look bad or actually slow down your phone. It's heavy-handed. Yeah, it's, it's rough. But let's be positive, Chris. Okay. So, what's on the other side of the Swift transition? You tell me. Well, there's some interesting stuff. There is a Swift package manager, which, God willing, lets me get rid of Cocoa Pods and the folks who are using a, an alternative called Carthage, get rid mm. of that. Okay. I want to like Cocoa Pods. It's basically, uh, uh, you know, Ruby Gems, right? Bundler for, for iOS. But it's a little too simplistic for me. And I just feel like uh, Bundler figures things out a lot better than Cocoa Pods does. Maybe it's me. No, I think Maybe I don't know how to use it right. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. But I, I really don't think that's true because it's just a flat file. Ha, but either way, right, having a vendor-blessed solution for this problem, in theory, should work better. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Seems, Again, pretty, seems like a safe bet, though. It feels smarter to me, right? And it's also something that would be super standard and other people would use. Uh, stuff on the other side, and this is the big one for me. Supposedly, Switch 4 is not going to hurt. So there is kind of a soft promise that so eat your eat your crap sandwich today, and we promise right. next time it won't be so hard. Right, it's like the Old Testament, right? I will never destroy the world with water again, kind of thing. If that is true, then I think on the whole, as obnoxious as I think some some of this uh, pain that developers have had to go through is, I think this is a net gain. If it is not true then that scares the crap out of me. And the only way to really find out is to take your licks today and hang around for Swift 4 and see what happens. Well, but Swift is also a community project to a point, right? Mm, So you think you'll have a heads up based on people watching what's going on? You'll definitely have a heads up. I mean, you know, back in the Swift 2 days, we had a heads up when somebody went on a jihad against the for loop. Yeah, I I do actually, I I do got to be fair. That That is actually a surprisingly transparent aspect of this entire thing coming from coming coming from apple yeah i mean don't get me wrong i i read the swift evolution mailing list i do not like many of the things they do and say but that's because i think they're looking to you know one thing that has never really worked for me with swift in general is i'm not sure we needed swift I mean, there are things I like in Swift and things that I think are better than Objective-C, but there's a lot of things that I also think are worse. Wouldn't you say the community has voted that they did want Swift, though? I mean, look at the popularity. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. My, my position, I'm, yeah, like somebody's saying in the chat room, I, I have the popularity of a climate change denier, right? They're just telling me that I'm old and mistaken, and if I were to just, you know, let go of my Objective-C love, I would feel better. <laughs> that is kind of a message. <laughs> right. Which could be true, but, uh, you know, there is nothing that I can do in Swift in terms of getting my customers functionality that I couldn't have done, in my case, much easier in Objective-C and much faster. Sure. Boy, that sucks you're still there, though. Well, I also have been working on Android for like a year now, right? I mean, well, that is, you know, that is there, true. There, there is part of it that I immediately and in fact the new the new thing i'm picking up i'm going to be working on web and android so it's like there's multiple factors here yeah 
Do you feel yourself because of any of this more inclined and drawn to Android projects? And also bearing in mind that it's maybe simpler for you in other ways too. I mean, do you fear? Do you feel yourself split between being drawn to Android development for the practicality, but drawn to iOS development for the profit margin? Like, is is that your issue here? Because this is this interesting, or is it just whatever work comes your way, you're gonna you're gonna tackle this? Well, I mean, you know. It, if I do an Android project and the customer's happy, I'm likely to get another Android project. Sure. So, so there's, there's a, I have not gone out and said, I will only do Android projects if that's what you're asking. Right. I haven't like engineered things in a way to favor Android. Okay. Are you inclined Uh, to though? Do you feel an inclination? No. In fact, I mean, if I had my druthers, I'd probably want to pick up an iOS project because I haven't, you know, I'm doing this internal thing, but I haven't, well, that's not true. I did have an iOS project recently, but that was an Objective-C project, <laughs> right? So, so, you know, I think there's a market thing here too, right? I've done a lot of old Mac and a lot of iOS in Objective-C. I think if someone were to call and say, we want you to work on our iOS project, it would be a legacy Objective-C app because that just makes sense, right? Sure. You know, you might want to hire someone like Make Xcode Great Again for Swift and because he's... I'm trolling the chat room. I don't even know if he's here, but he, he he's obviously more right. He's obviously more passionate about it than I am. Um, but I'm not. I'm not against doing it. I, I'm a little scared though. If you know, like, if I were to charge someone to move them to Swift three, tell them that Apple says that there won't be another breaking change next year, and then there is. That is very frightening to me. Like, if there were to be something that would. You know, if there was an Android contract on the table and an iOS contract that would make me maybe more likely to sign the Android one, that would be it. Because one of those those situations where the guy could come back and be like, you said, you know. Of course, in reality, Google could come out and say, all right, we're dropping Android. Well, Google could like adopt Swift, right? I mean, there was a rumor about that months ago. I love that rumor. That's my favorite one of 2016. It really they fought is. so hard to keep using Java. You would think they would yeah. just keep using Java. Oh, I, that's one of my reasons why it's my favorite, because it's just so freaking yeah. unlikely that I just love it to pieces. Uh, oh, whoa, while the Popo are busting uh, your neck of the woods, boy, got to watch out for Mr. Dominic over there. We're going to get into our pick of the week. But first, let me thank Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you go to let them know you heard about it here and keep us going. And... You can sign up for a seven-day free trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Oh, there's the bell. I almost knocked it off the table. Uh, if you go over there, you'll learn more about their platform for learning about all of the nitty-gritty little itty-bitties about Linux, but also everything in between. The stuff from when you build out and go in the higher-level stuff and the abstracted stuff. It's like Azure, AWS, OpenStack, the things that are going to actually make you money with labs on scenario-based exercises, which are super cool, really give you that experience. Which I find that that helps when you're testing later on. And speaking of testing, they have courses just for certifications, which you can check out. They have nuggets when you don't have a lot of time, just like a single topic. You deep dive into it. And speaking of time, they have course schedulers. You just say, okay, all right, Linux Academy, here's what's up this week. What do you got for me? It, using the magic of computing, generates courseware for you that matches your busy schedule. And the note cards are forked by the community that's stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, so they get better and better all the time. The subscription you have is constantly getting more and more valuable as they're always adding content and updating the old content. And they now have iOS and Android apps as well with public profiles so you can show your employer or client the work that you've done. And if you're considering joining Linux Academy, check out their Twitter feed too, linuxacademy.com. They've been posting team photos but also videos from an Amazon event and giveaways and deals. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you go to support the show and give it sign up for a seven-day free trial. And then follow them on Twitter at twitter.com slash LinuxAcademy.com. Thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thanks to you guys for visiting LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Mr. Dominic, tell me about Zeal. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, so Zeal is something um, I actually discovered, which I, I hate to say, I found out that somebody had shared it to the show uh, some time ago, and I don't know if we did or didn't oh, cover it. Oh, I know we'll that does again. happen. But yeah, so if you're yeah. like that person, like, how come they never talked about this? We're talking about it now. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, well, I'm sorry. It looks like the feds are kicking down my door. Yeah, man. See, this is what happens. This is what happens when you deal in the uh, illegal Bitcoin markets. No, it, you know what it is? I'm harboring Swift developers in my basement. <laughs> With Ooh, Bitcoin, that's for the Bitcoin ransom. That's what that's for. 
Yes. Nice. No, so Zeal, so, it's an offline documentation browser for developers. It's basically Dash for uh, Linux, right? It's a GNOME app. It's great. Oh, I should steal this for uh, Linux Action Show, too. Yep, you definitely should. It, it works fine on Unity. I mean, it's... So it comes with doc sets, and it says it comes with 195 of them. And these. Yeah. And the key, too, is if you're moving from Mac, it is compatible with the same format of doc set that Dash uses. That is super cool, and it's got a lot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I was able to like export my doc sets uh, from from uh, you know Dash on Mac, bring them over, import them without having to like redownload everything. So. Boy, I could really you can't just download everything too. I so. could really use this too, and I like that it supports Markdown, which is uh, what yep. I what I note everything in. So zealdocs.org, and we'll also have a link in uh, the show notes if you it's, want. To uh, it's it's not bad. Yeah, and so is it? Uh, I, I know I know you said for Linux, but does it work on the other? Looks like they have a Windows MSI. Uh, it's in the AUR, of course. They got a Debian package. Uh, it's also on the build service, and they got a uh, they got a Deb and a PPA yeah. for Ubuntu, and it's available for. But I don't see I don't see macOS. But yeah, I, I think it was made. Windows. I mean, someone can please correct me. I think it was made in cooperation with Dash, because Dash did not want to be a Linux or Windows app. Hmm. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So they oh. yeah. Uh, here, well, you know what? We'll help you out with that. We'll help you with that. Yeah, so I think they gave them some information on how to, like, parse the, it's pretty cool. you know, the file format or whatever. Zeal. Yeah, it, it's Zeal. actually super helpful. I mean, because I can't remember CSS tags if my life depended on it. <laughs> so yeah. I just kind of pop open Zeal with the keyboard shortcut and start typing something I think makes sense. Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week uh, on the Go line? to DominicM.com. You'll find more love for Swift on there later this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Is that how it is? That's how <laughs> right. it is. You can follow me. I'm at Chris LAS. You can follow the network for new shows or episode releases and news, all that kind of stuff, at Jupiter Signal. Also, you can check out Noah tomorrow on Linux Unplugged. I just invited him to come host the show if you'd like to join us live. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for this show and all of the shows that we stream live at jblive.tv. You can send us your feedback over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And don't forget that subreddit at coderadio.reddit.com where you can submit topics, feedback, all of that stuff. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio, and we'll see you right back here next week.